And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Habakkuk. Now, some of you are like, man, is that even in the Bible? What, do you, what is the word Habakkuk? That's uh, mean. And, and uh, so it actually is a book. It's a very small book in the Old Testament. So if you're using one of the Bibles we provide for you, it's page 785. If you are not uh, so fortunate to have one of those Bibles and you're thumbing through and can't find it, here's a great tip, all right? Just go to the table of contents, all right? Like you would in most other books where you're trying to find something. And uh, you'll see that uh, Habakkuk is toward the end of the Old Testament. So page 785, we'll jump in there. And I just want to give everyone a heads up. I want you to put this in your calendar, like write it down right now or open your calendar app. Um, We are going to do something new this year uh, that we've never done before, and that is we're going to host a Christmas celebration right here at the Chevalier Theater, okay? So um, we've always, anybody excited about that? Thank you very much. Yeah, that's right. So it's going to be for us, and it's going to be for our city. And uh, just like our Easter celebration is always a great celebration, we see uh, hundreds of of additional people uh, usually come to worship with us. Uh, We hope that uh, this is the case as well with our uh, Christmas celebration. So it'll be Friday night, December 23rd, okay, the eve of Christmas Eve, and um, we will have it right here at 6.30, okay? So those are the details. You'll hear more about that as we move forward. Well, as we dive into the book of Habakkuk today, um, everyone's well aware, I think, I hope, uh, that we have a very important election coming up this Tuesday. And uh, if you've been keeping up with the news, you know that there is uh, no end to the amount of commentary and controversy that's been sparked, as well as the spin that's put on all of that um, in our culture. And as I talk to people and as I read posts on Facebook and things, it doesn't seem that the vast majority of our country is really thrilled with the political system and the way things are going right now and even perhaps even, uh, you know, the, the, the options that we have uh, to choose in our election. And this is so important, not only because we're thinking about the leadership decisions that will be made over the next four years, but we understand that these decisions will affect, very, very, in a very real sense, affect generations to come, right? And so some of the ads even are showing children watching these leaders and saying, hey, how are our kids going to be influenced by the leadership that we elect at a local, at a state, and at a national level? And so just a few encouragements for Tuesday that I want to give. These are very simple, uh, but, but just to think about as you move into Tuesday and way beyond Tuesday, okay? Uh, number one, politics is not the hope of the world, right? So uh, they are very important, but no president nor political party will be able to fix the brokenness that pervades our reality, And so we understand that kingdoms rise and fall, right? But God remains forever. So we hope in him. We hope in his kingdom and not the kingdoms of this earth as much as we love our country and pray that it moves forward in a great way. Uh, Number two, we should recognize that good people, and we could even say good Christians, um, are going to disagree, right? We're going to disagree on certain issues and we're going to disagree on certain candidates, So we need to deal with one another, 
and, uh, and are very respectful and, uh, and, and, and tolerant in the, word, the true word, uh, sense of that word, tolerance, uh, we need to engage in good dialogue and love one another, even in spite of some of our differences. Uh, then number three, I would say this. I hope you've heard this before. If not, you need to hear it today. Vote your conscience. All right? So whether, whether that, in terms of the political uh, race, whether that's uh, Hillary, Trump, a third-party candidate, or if your conscience leads you to abstain from voting, vote your conscience. And then finally, I would say this. Remember, remember that God is sovereign over all things, including elections, right? So we can sit back and not like wring our hands too much. We don't have to panic, right? Because God is ultimately in, in control of all things, and we can still go about our daily business trusting that he has positioned us where he wants us to be difference makers, how he leads us to live our lives, right? So let's, let's, let's pray. Let's be involved in the political process, right, as responsible citizens of our country. But let's keep these things in mind as we move into Tuesday and as we move way beyond Tuesday. So that is just a few encouragements on the state of things. But if you feel like uh, the status of our country is not the, the prettiest situation these days, uh, then A, you're probably not alone, but B, let me tell you, it's not as bad as it could be. Because what we're going to see here this morning in the book of Habakkuk is that there was a much dire and despicable set of circumstances that the people of God found themselves in in that day. Habakkuk lived roughly 600 years before the time of Christ, and in his day there was immense political and even, yes, religious corruption that marked his society. And so what we find here in Habakkuk is he is God's spokesperson that is, prophets usually speak on behalf of God to the people, but, but what we find in Habakkuk is not a prophet speaking to the people for God, but we actually find Habakkuk speaking to God on behalf of himself and on behalf of the people. What we're going to see is this, Habakkuk comes to God in a very real, raw, sincere way, and he brings his questions right to the throne of God. And I believe in the process, as we look at these questions that Habakkuk has, as he works through questions in the storm, that we can take some cues from him on how we can pursue God in prayer and how we can navigate the storms of life. So listen, uh, the, the primary encouragement for us this morning is this. When, when we're in the midst of the storm, we can bring our questions to God in the midst of our brokenness, okay? Bring your questions to, to God in the midst of your brokenness. Now, I want to give you three principles for prayer that we see here in chapter 1 and the verse, verse of chapter 2, all right? Uh, number one is this, bring your burdens before God in prayer. Bring your burdens before God in prayer. Prayer often begins with a burden. If we look at the first verse of Habakkuk, it says the, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And, and this word oracle can be translated burden. 
It was a burden and in a real sense for someone to speak on behalf of God. In fact, that's really a job of, of, of a teacher of God's word. Like I feel that every week there's such a, an immense responsibility when it's not, it's not what I have to say, but it's trying to help us understand what God has already said and how it applies to our lives. And so that's a burden. But then on top of that, this burden that he sees is weighing down on him because the scene is not good. There is injustice all around Habakkuk. It is if he is under siege by injustice. And it is a present reality for him, and it will be a future reality on a compounding scale. And so what, what do we see here in Habakkuk as he brings his, as it says in the heading, you can probably see it, his complaint before God. His questions before God. We see that injustice was part of his present reality. Look at verse 2. It says this. He comes to God and he says, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Why? Or, or, or cry to you violence and you will not save. That's verse 2. Uh, here we see this word of violence, that it was unrestrained in the land of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. In fact, the word violence is used six times in the book of Habakkuk. Just to put it in perspective, that's the third most times we'll find this word in any biblical book, seven times in Proverbs, and 14 times in Psalms, which, by the way, Psalms has 150 chapters. So you can just kind of do the math, and this word is coming up a lot. It characterized the plight of their society as Habakkuk experienced it. But then verse 3 goes on and he says this, why do you make me see iniquity and why do you look idly at wrong? He's saying these things to God. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Look at these words. Iniquity, wrong, destruction, violence, strife, contention. In the words of Eugene Peterson, uh, he, he says it like, puts it like this. It's as, as if Habakkuk is saying, God, how long do I have to cry out for help before you listen? How many times do I have to yell before you come to the rescue? Anarchy and violence break out. Law and order fall to pieces. Justice is a joke. Habakkuk was surrounded by injustice. The gravity of the situation is painted further when in verse 4 it says, the law is paralyzed. In other words, God's instructions for his people were set aside. God's intentions for them were dealt with in such a way that, that really they were frozen to the people. The people were numb to God and his desires for them. They were lifeless. And as we read these words, we should just be kind of already praying, like, God, may that not be true of us, right? And may we not be numb to, to your instruction. May we not be uh, frozen to your intention. May we not be lifeless in terms of understanding who you are and then living in light of who you are. God's answer comes in verse 5. But it's not what Habakkuk would have expected. 
Look at what it says. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. I mean, that could sound pretty good, right? Hey, there's something astounding on the horizon. I'm going to do something that you wouldn't even believe, even if someone just came and told you this is exactly the way it's going to be. And oh, by the way, people proof text Habakkuk 1.5 all the time, and they just kind of attach it to anything good that they hope for, right? So it's like God is at work, and he's going to do amazing things that you wouldn't even believe, right? And that is true, but that's not what's going on here in Habakkuk 1. Because if you keep reading... Verse 6 says this, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Verse 8, their their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. So God is telling Habakkuk, hey, look, it's not good there in your land. Yes, my people have forsaken me. And what's going to happen is I'm actually going to raise the stakes. Because I love you and because I love my people, I'm going to do whatever it takes to grab your attention, even if that means sending in a foreign army to take you into captivity. Can you, can you believe that God would, would, would do such a thing? That, that he would like, in his sovereignty, now we have to be careful here, right? Because God is saying, behind all of the wickedness and evil of, of men, even these despicable Babylonians who have no regard for human beings, but they just annihilate whatever is in their path. God is saying, I can use their wickedness and evil, I can use it for good. And if this is hard for For you to grasp, I know we all wrestle with these questions of the problem of evil and where is God in all of this and how could God even take these evil and wicked things and use them for good? And and I would just say, listen, yes, those are huge questions and we need to ask these questions, but if we want to look for answers, we should look where where we should always look, right? And that is to the cross of Christ. It's it's in the cross that the most despicable evil and wickedness that has ever happened under the sun uh, occurred when people crucified the truly innocent man, Jesus Christ. And yet God, that was part of his design, he sent Jesus to the cross. Jesus volunteered to go to the cross so that we might find salvation through his sacrifice. So do you see how God takes the wickedness of man and accomplishes his purposes even in the worst of situations, like what's happening here in Judah, like what happened in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified? Needless to say, Habakkuk felt a burden. 
burdened by what's going on around him, burdened by this vision of what was to come. And so I want you to just track with me for a minute, okay? Where does a burden come from? Like, does anyone carry any burdens here today? Like, is anyone weighed down by the situation in your life, perhaps the storms that are coming into your life, however intense they may be? Does anyone feel burdened today? We feel a burden when what we desire, which is hopefully part of God's design and intention for us, when what we want doesn't measure up to the reality of our situation. So in other words, like God has a design, but life doesn't match up with his design. And so that disconnect between the way things ought to be and the way things are is what creates a burden. You guys follow me? And we see this most clearly in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Luke 19, 41 and 42. It says Jesus, nearing the end of his life, when he was coming in and he looked down at the city of Jerusalem. Listen to what it says. It says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Saying, what did he say? Would that you, even you, speaking to the city, had known on this day the things that make for what? Peace. That word in the Hebrew is shalom. What is shalom? Shalom is not simply the absence of conflict, right? Shalom is harmony, flourishing, the way things ought to be. And so Jesus is, Jesus is moved to tears. Like, why would Jesus, this always like blew my mind uh, for the longest time. In Isaiah 53, another Old Testament uh, book, it says that Jesus is described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like Jesus, like this, this one who brings salvation, this deliverer, this Messiah, this one who is full of life and joy and love, how could he be de- described as a man of sorrows? Is it not because he knew God's design better than anyone? Is it not because he knew shalom better than anyone? Is it not because he could see more clearly the gap between the way things ought to be and the way things are? And that gap absolutely at times just crushed him. And so I would pose to you that it's healthy to have some burdens in our life. It's actually a good thing when we have burdens that are motivated by a love for what is best for people, and we see that they're not experiencing that best, and so that burdens us. That bothers us. The brokenness around us, actually, it affects us. That's a question we should all wrestle with, right? Does brokenness bother us? Are we broken by the injustice that we see around us? Because let me tell you this. When we are bothered, when we are burdened, when we are broken, we'll actually do something about it. 
If we're really bothered by something, if we're really burdened by something, we will not let that burden just stay there, but it will move us. It certainly moved Habakkuk to pray, and it moved Habakkuk to action, and it moved Jesus to pray, and it moved Jesus to action. And so if we would be a little more like Habakkuk and a little more like Jesus, what we'll find is that burdens spark boldness, and they move us to do something about it, right? Jesus was so burdened by the human condition in our turning away from God and saying, God, I've got this. I don't really need you. I don't really need your grace. I'm going to kind of do my own thing, which is the plight of every person, right, who has ever lived. This is what Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't measure up. We are not glorious. We don't seek after his glory. And that, that sin separates us from God. That puts a burden on our back. But Jesus seeing that burden, being burdened by it, it moves him boldly to go to the cross to take our burden himself, right? And he brings us into God's shalom. He brings us into God's design through his sacrificial death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. That is the story of Christianity. That is the story of the gospel. And it is absolutely relevant, not only for someone's salvation in this life and in the life to come, but it is absolutely relevant for any storm and situation that we face in this life. Burden, spark, boldness. I'm so persuaded by this. I mean, just consider, just consider our More Than Me series last month. Anybody remember that, right? We talked about more with our abilities and more with our joy, like actually talking about Jesus and, and more with our meals, like sharing meals together with intentionality to, to show God's love and to share God's love and even more with our money, right? Like being financially generous. Like, listen, if we are not burdened by the current situation of how we're handling our abilities and our joy and our, our meals and our finances, like if, if we do not see a disconnect between the way things ought to be and the way things are, there's not going to be any movement. So, so, so I, don't, I haven't been hanging out with every one of you, and nor have you been hanging out with me, but, but, but I would just ask, like, have you been moved? Have you been moved by those, those encouragements, those instructions? Like, is the, is the word, like, paralyzed? Like, oh, that was just a good idea, but I've done nothing with it. Like, if you've done nothing with it, then you're not burdened. So sometimes, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Like, so I'm just learning because, listen, man, I can have a hard heart to the things of God just as much as you. I can hear something and not do anything with it. I mean, I know that's not cool, like pastors should just be all on point all the time, right? But guess what? We're human beings too, all right? We, we flunk and fail, and we don't do things that we ought, and, 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 and so we need grace as well. And so what I'm learning is just to pray, God, give me a burden. Help me to see as you see. Help me to see the, the way things ought to be, and not be content with the way things are, but move in such a way that I'm pursuing that shalom, and I'm doing something with my life, and doing something about it. Habakkuk carried a burden, and he brought that burden to God, and that is the best thing that we could do when we're in the storms of life, is to carry our burdens to God in prayer. Then number two. How about this? Bring your unfiltered questions before God in prayer. 
Bring your unfiltered questions before God in prayer. Habakkuk, his name meant to wrestle. And this is actually what the word Israel, okay? God's people were known as Israel in the Old Testament. And and that word also means to wrestle. So as Jacques Yule says, um, Israel, God's combatant, or he who wrestled with God, listen to this, such is the name which everyone who prays should bear, for prayer is a striving with God. You pray like that? Do you think about, do you think about your relationship with God in that way? This might be difficult, right? Because God is our Father, and He knows what we need, and He desires to grant our requests and give us what is best. Even if that's not always what we want, He knows what's best for us. And so there is this intimacy with God, and there is this relationship of, of, of God being our Father, and we can go to Him no matter what. And at the same time, when we pray, we should have an attitude of, hey, I am not content with the way things are, and this is why I'm praying. This is why I'm making some requests. This is why I'm bringing some bold questions to you, God, because I want to see something change. Does that, does that compute? Does that make sense? Prayer is striving. Prayer is, is, is saying, I, I want to see something different here. And God, I believe you want something different, which is why I'm going to you and not some other solution, right? And so I'm going to wrestle with you, God. And bring it all before you. So this burdened man starts to say stuff like this. Verse 2, how long shall I cry? And you not listen. How long will I bring injustice to your attention, but you won't deliver? Verse 3, why do I have to look at all of this wrong? And how can you look at it and not do anything? Verses 12 and 13, let's look at them. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. But here comes a second complaint. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up? What's the deal, God? Won't you do something in this mess? Why do you seem to be indifferent about things that I know you're not indifferent about? We all ask these kind of questions in the midst of storms. As I said, I don't know what it is for you today. I just have lived long enough that I'm assuming that there's not one of us in here, not one of us, not one person who watched this online. There's not one person that does not have some kind of storm either in their present reality or on their horizon. And so the questions that we find ourselves asking are ones like these oftentimes, God, how long? How long will I have to deal with dissatisfaction and 
my workplace? Any, anybody? How long will I battle depression? Christians battle depression. It's not a sign of spiritual weakness. How long will I be disrespected and oppressed by people around me? How long will kids be abandoned and human beings be trafficked like commodities? How long? When will all of these immigration issues get ironed out? Why does the fallout from the fractured relationships of my past hurt so much? Why is the person I love the most suffering with chronic pain? Why are those people who don't give a rip about God? Why do they prosper? And I'm like, I can't even make ends meet. Like, God, I don't understand why. Is anyone going through a storm? Does anyone have some questions for God? Our family went through a really difficult storm about six years ago. Um, in the spring of 2009, uh, we get a call from Marcia's family. And uh, they said Marcia's dad was having some like, twitching on the side, and he had to go in for just a neuro- neuro- neurological, there you go, neurological exam to see if there was something going on. He has an MRI. The scan shows a mass on the side of his brain. And the doctors at that point, because of what they could see in the positioning of the mast, they think, you know, it's, it's probably going to be benign, everything should be fine, but we were in North Carolina at the time, so let's fly down there and just be with family. 45 minutes before we board the plane, we get a call saying that it's cancerous. The next two years are filled with doctor's visits, trips there, them coming up to North Carolina through some contacts. We actually got Mr. Harris into Duke Hospital at the Tisch Center there where um, the doctor that actually operated on Ted Kennedy was his surgeon to remove the mass in his head. He had the the best of care, and and things actually got better for a while. After that surgery, the cancer seemed to be shrinking, and hopes began to, to rise, and then the bottom fell out. Mr. Harris went down very quickly. And all this time, we're praying. The family's praying. I can't tell you how many times Marcia's praying, like, God, would you heal him? God, why won't you heal him? And then when it seems that healing is beyond the scope of possibility, it's like, God, how long do we have to see him suffer? How long? He's dying before our eyes. Like, how long does he have to endure this? How long do we have to endure this? You see, bringing God our unfiltered questions means bringing God our unfiltered emotions. 
Like, I just, like, God is big enough for this. Like, he's big enough for our questions. He's big enough for our emotions. Jesus was a man. Like, he understands. This is, this is why I love the, the Psalms, right? The Psalms, all these, this book of Psalms in the middle of our Bibles, um, they cover the range of human experience and emotion. So there are songs of praise, there are songs of thanksgiving, and then there are these songs that are called songs or psalms of lament. And so you'll read, read ones like this, Psalm 13, that says, How long, O Lord, will you for, forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. How long? The storms of life are possibly, may I say probably, the number one reason why people either walk away from God or they refuse to come to God in the first place. Just, just have your antennas up. Pray that that doesn't happen for you or those that you love. But I'm telling you, in our fallen, broken world, you will probably witness it. And I think there are two ways that we can kind of guard against Against that possibility, right? Number one is simply by bringing our questions to God. I mean, think about the alternative. If we do not come to God with our unfiltered questions, then what happens is essentially like a bad relationship. We're turning a cold shoulder to God, and, and then what happens is things just get ugly and awkward and more and more broken, and the relationship becomes more and more fractured to where we become just hard-hearted, like the cold shoulder becomes a hard heart, and we don't want anything to do with God. But then, if we are bringing our questions before God, um, it's, it's not like bringing questions in such a way that we're complaining just to complain and we really don't care about God or want to hear, but it's actually bringing our questions in such a way that there is some faith involved and there is some understanding of who God is, and, and, and we, we want to know Him, we want to live for Him, we want to experience His best. And so one scholar puts it like this, Carl Amardine, he says, the hard issues of God's goodness, he's talking about Habakkuk 1, okay? The hard issues of God's goodness are set in a context not of philosophical speculation or cynical debate, but of reverent worship and community. So listen, Habakkuk is not crying out to God like an immature child is trying to scold his father. Still less is Habakkuk crying out as, in, in such a way that would be like this vindictive victim that wants to get back at God for all the wrong that he's experiencing. No, Habakkuk cries out with humility and confidence and faith and trust that God cares, that he hears, and that he will respond. So when we pray, we bring our burdens to God in prayer. We bring our unfiltered questions to God in prayer. But then we also, in light of Habakkuk's attitude and example, we should bring an attitude of faith and wait for his answer. Look down at chapter 2, verse 1. 
after all this, after all the injustices he's experiencing in his city, out of all the injustices on the horizon coming from the Babylonians, this is what Habakkuk says. He says this, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk responds in light of all of the questions and all of the unknowns. And in the eye of the storm, Habakkuk says, look, I am going to wait. I'm going to look out and wait for God to respond and to answer as if I'm a watchman on the walls of a city. Okay, so in Habakkuk's days, the the walls of the city were fortified to protect them from oncoming enemies, right? And they would have watchmen that would get up in the tower of those walls to keep watch to see if there were any enemies coming. And Habakkuk is saying, look, I'm like that. The kind of intensity and vigilance and perseverance and alertness it takes to watch out for for an oncoming enemy, He's, he's trusting, he's confident, he's going after God like that saying, God, I trust that you will respond and you will answer. Listen, this is, faith is not passive, all right? Faith is not passive. Faith is active. We lay our questions and our requests before God and we expect him to respond because he is God and he is good. We see this in the midst of this conversation that Habakkuk is having with God, right? I mean, look back at verse 12. He's he's saying, God, look, I, I know that you are from everlasting. I know before any of this mess started, God, you were there and that you care for this world that you have made. And and God, I know that you are the holy one. And so, God, this situation is is so dire that that my faith is being stretched beyond its limits, but yet, God, I know that you are there and you care and you will respond because you are that good and that faithful and that true. And so the, the encouragement from this chapter is as we come to God with our burdens and come to God with our questions, that we would come in such a way that we still have an attitude of faith, that we would listen for God's voice, and that we would wait for him to respond. And guess what? Listen to this. God works in our waiting. God may not always answer the prayer the way that we want. He certainly may not answer it in the timetable that we want, but God is working to change us even when our circumstances don't change. And so whatever the storm is for you today, I want to wrap up our time and our music team is going to come forward and and play and lead us in a song of response. But I want to invite you, it seems entirely appropriate this morning, to respond in such a way that we would take that step to to place our burdens before God, to place our questions before God, 
to navigate the, the storms of life, to find hope on the other side of brokenness by going to God in prayer. So I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And I just want you to take a moment to, to go before God and to, to put your situation before him, to put your request before him, to put your questions before him because God cares and he is big enough for all of your questions. Let's pray together as we respond to him in worship. God, I pray that these friends would not hold back. God, I pray that we would have a big enough vision of you to know that, that you hear our every thought and our every cry. And God, that you want shalom in our hearts and around us more than anyone. So God, I pray even in these moments that we would come to you and that we would trust you with these storms in our life. God, help us to present our questions to you in the midst of the storm. Father, we ask that you would move us in the midst of brokenness, God, that you would burden us in such a way that we would be moved to take our burdens to you, trusting that you will hear and that you will respond. And so, God, I know all the different storms that we talked about, God, we experience those on a, on a daily, on a weekly basis. And so, Lord, would you work in the midst of our storms? Would you help us to trust you in the midst of our storms? And may we find hope as we turn to you. Pray this in the name of Jesus.